all day, all day. All day, all day. How long you spark, pop? All day, all day. How much time you spent at the mall? All day, all day. How many runners do you got on call? All day, all day. Swish, swish. How long they keep you in call? All day, all day. Guys, welcome back to another episode of the Portes House Podcast, where I give you guys the inside perspective or my opinion on the sports industry and what's going on in the sports world right now. Uh, so, I wanted to kick off today's episode by talking about what I left off on the last episode, which was Ohio State coming into the national championship and how I thought they could be able to compete against a team like Alabama. So, I I was saying that, you know, in order for them to be able to win that game or just compete at the base level, Justin Fields had to be really, really, really good. And, you know, it's hard to say that, you know, it's his fault for not being that because, as we know, he got injured in the semifinal game against Clemson. And I think that bothered him for the rest of that game. And going into this game, obviously it bothered him because a lot of times when he was getting knocked onto the ground, we saw him labor and win some pain after uh, the play was over. So I think that injury ultimately affected his effectiveness and the offense's effectiveness later on in the game. I think early on, Ohio State did a really good job and had a lot of really good energy. But as we saw... Those guys, key starters on defense defense and offense that they were missing started to eat at them. And that's one thing that you can't have against a team in an offense, especially like Alabama's this year. You can't have key guys missing on defense, especially the D-line. Because if anyone knows, football fans know, or football uh, analysts know that the or the way to make your – game plan really, really, really effective is to win the line of scrimmage. Win that battle at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. It it makes it a lot easier for you to score on the opposing team and also for you to uh, stop the opposing team from scoring, obviously. So I feel like them missing those guys on the D-line, those key guys, really hurt them uh, throughout the game, especially later. Uh, Because after we saw them tied up 14-14, it seemed like Alabama's players were running in uh, fast forward and their players were running in slow motion. Um, I've seen a lot of fans complain about the defensive coordinator's play calling or the OC's play calling. I think it was just a mixture of guys being hurt, guys being out because of being injured. Uh, And just we have to we have to realize and attest to the fact that we might have just seen one of the most dominant offenses in all of college football history. I mean, come on. Like, Matt Jones was a Heisman finalist. Najee Harris, their running back for Alabama, was a Heisman finalist. Devontae Smith, their wide receiver, who was the first wide receiver to win the Heisman since Desmond Howard, was was a beast this entire season. Like, we can't just put it all on, oh, Ohio State this, Ohio State that. No. While those things are true, Alabama was well coached this year on both sides of the ball. 
Granted, early on, their defense looked a little bit iffy in comparison to past defenses, but I really think they were able to change their normal play style to something more akin to what they uh, their personnel is able to provide them. And I think that that just fed into, like, the offense because when you know that your guys on defense are dogs and can at least stop a team from getting a touchdown and get a field goal, you know, on the other side, you got dogs like Najee Harris, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, uh, Mac Jones, like, you got all those dogs on offense, it gives you fire on the defensive side. You know, like, hey, we got this stop. I know our offense is going to make them pay for that, for not scoring. You know what I'm saying? So, yes, while Ohio State had a lot going against them, Alabama arguably had one of the greatest offenses of all time. Not one of the greatest teams. Obviously, the other side of the ball, while it wasn't bad, it wasn't to what Alabama is normally accustomed to having. So I feel like we can't say they were one of the greatest teams, but we can definitely say by a shadow of a doubt that this is one of the greatest offenses that we've seen in all of college football history. And it's funny because in back-to-back years, we've had two all-time offenses come from teams that are traditionally not known for their offense. Like, you would think, We'd be saying this about Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, you know, teams like that in the Big 12, even like any team in the Big 12. We're talking about two SEC powerhouses as having some of the best offenses of all time, all of college football history. It's crazy to me how much uh, these SEC SEC schools are starting to progress. Uh, On another note, I think as far as, like, next season, how it's looking right now, my really early projections, like, really, really early, (laughs) um, I think Alabama isn't going to be nearly as good as they were this year, but they won't fall off too bad. I mean, it's hard to follow up all-time greatness again with all-time greatness, but I think they'll still be a great team, but they're losing a lot of production, like Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith, Mac Jones, Najee Harris, some defensive guys, like, they're not going to be the same team, per se, with the production going down, possibly, but they're still going to be really, really, really good. Uh, as far as Ohio State, I think they take a couple more steps back. Uh, they lose Justin Fields, Trey Sermon, uh, possibly Master T, Chris Olave, uh, some defensive guys like uh, their corners. It's it's going to be tough for them, I think, more so than Alabama to actually bounce back. And as we saw this year in the Big Ten, uh, a team like Indiana is going to be an issue for them. Uh, Iowa's always a big player in the Big Ten. And I know a lot of people don't want to hear it, but Michigan is still a Big Ten powerhouse, whether we like to say it or not, whether people like Jim Harbaugh or not. That's the reality of the situation. Like, he can recruit. He can get guys to Michigan. He can. He he finally got a new defensive coordinator. I feel like he's gonna figure out the quarterback situation next year, and I really feel like this might be the best year, the best chance that Michigan has at beating Ohio State. I mean, look at it. Michigan isn't losing a lot of production. They were a really young team this past year, and they went through their struggles. So those guys who were there got their bumps. You know, 
Ohio State, on the other hand, like I said, they're losing a lot of production, veteran production at that, like guys who were two, three-year starters. And then you have to look at it like on top of losing all that production, you just came off of back-to-back years of going deep into the postseason. Uh, The guys that are returning, while they're vets, they're grizzled vets, like they they they've been through it. They've been through the fire, but they're maybe banged up. You may have some disgruntled guys that may leave. You know things like that. So I really feel like this upcoming year is going to be the year that Michigan finally has a chance, like a legitimate chance, not just a cockamamie chance to beat Ohio State. As far as other teams that uh you know may have a chance next year in the playoff, um. Teams like UGA, who always bring in great production or recruits, are returning a lot of production uh, from both sides of the ball, including uh, five-star recruit, former five-star, five-star recruit uh, JT Daniels at quarterback, um, and Zamira White, and a lot of other key guys on offense. Pretty much they're bringing back the uh, same offense that they had uh, this past year. And I think that Kirby can build a – really good foundation off of their big win against Cincinnati because let's face it, that Cincinnati win was big. Like as much as people want to downplay it going into next season, them being able to win a New Year's Six Bowl against a really good team like a Cincinnati who's on the up and coming, mind you, and who are really well coached by uh, Luke Fickle, I feel like is a great thing. And it's perfect to build off of that going into a game like Clemson, which is the first game that they have to play next season. So I feel like all these things are coming together for UGA. Watch out for them. I think another team that takes a step back uh, is Florida. They're losing Kyle Trask, a lot of offensive starters. Uh, They're returning some defensive guys, but they're losing some of their secondary as well. Um, I think it's going to be hard for them to, like, find the same success, especially on the note that they ended this past year on with losses to L- or yeah LSU, a really close loss, but disappointing loss to Alabama, and then a huge blowout loss to a team like in Oklahoma, who going into that game, I feel like you can't have the mentality of, oh, well, we'll get, it, we'll get to it next year. Like, you have to do similarly to what Georgia did which is win that game to build momentum for the next season. Like, I felt like they went out there. Granted, they they didn't have a lot of guys uh, because of opt-outs for the NFL draft, but they went into that game, it looked like, with the one mentality of, yes, this wasn't our year, but next year is our year. You can't have that mindset and especially – lose the way that you did and expect to build off of that for next year. It's it's just, it, it looks bad for anyone going there. It looks bad for the guys already there. So we'll see how that goes. And uh, let's, we'll see if they'll be able to retain their uh, SEC East champion uh, crown against uh, teams, like I said, like Georgia. So uh, another team, that I think is, uh, you know, quietly, but obviously really should be looked at is uh, Oklahoma with that. Like I said, their big law or big win against Florida. They really put themselves back onto the map as being one of the premier programs in college football. 
Uh, you bring back Spencer Rattler, uh, some of his targets, you bring them back. And not only that, defensively, they really look good this year. Something that you haven't been able to say about an Oklahoma team, let a, like a Big 12 team, let alone an Oklahoma team for a while now. So I think that that will be a big stepping stone for them going into next season. Uh, we'll see how they perform against obvious, like against obvious division uh, and conference opponents like Iowa State and um, Oklahoma State. But I really think that we need to be on the lookout for uh, Oklahoma next year. So if I had to make my top four for the playoff next year, if it retains that same format, hopefully – doesn't but if it does uh I would say number one probably would be a team like Oklahoma especially if they can win those big games against Iowa State and big uh in uh Oklahoma State I think that the committee would have no problems putting them at number one because both of those teams will be ranked especially with Iowa State being as highly ranked as they will be I think that would be a big stepping stone for them uh number two I put UGA uh I think they win against Clemson, but even if they do lose, they'll have a big chance to still make it if they can obviously win the East and then go on to be Alabama in the SEC championship. Um, that's the thing about the SEC that a lot of people don't like and why a lot of people feel like the playoffs should expand. A lot of the times the top two teams or the top division winners in the SEC have a chance of making the playoff because the top of the SEC is so good. Like, we see it every year. This past year, it was Alabama and Florida who could possibly both make it. Uh, in the past, it was teams like Alabama-Auburn, Alabama-LSU, Alabama-Georgia. Like, it never fails or ceases to amaze me at how the SEC is probably the only conference that can actually have the chance to have two guy or two teams in it every single year. So I feel like uh, UGA has a real shot at being one of those teams. Uh, number three, I'm throwing in Bama. Uh, I really feel like Bama is, uh, like I said, going to take a step back, a really small step, but they're going to take a step back with all of the production that they're going to lose. And then with also losing uh, Steve Sarkeesian as their OC, but, Again, it's a Nick Saban team. They never fall off like any other team after losing production. They always seem to reload. And I think Bryce Young, their uh, quarterback that's going to be taking over for Mac Jones, is going to be a real big problem. Uh, watch out for him. So number four, it's really a toss-up of any team. But if I had to put in one team, i say Clemson again. Uh, we'll see on if... It honestly could flip-flop between Clemson and Georgia, depending on what happens. But I think if they do end up winning that first game, they can be placed in the top three. But if they don't and they go on to win the ACC, I think that will be hard for the committee not to leave them a team like uh, – or not to – it would be hard for the committee to leave them out of the playoff, considering the fact that they obviously won their conference and only had one loss to a team like UGA, who possibly could be a SEC or a conference champion themselves. So it's, it's going to be a really interesting uh, landscape for college football next year, and I'm really excited for that.
So, yesterday, uh, we had a Woj bomb, as everyone knows. Uh, James Harden is now a member of the Brooklyn Nets. And obviously, uh, a lot of people are, you know, frazzled by this move, fed up with the move. Uh, a lot of people don't like how James Harden uh, carried himself in the last few days with being a Houston Rocket. Uh, they don't like the trade as a whole because they felt like the Brooklyn Nets, you know, didn't get a lot. I mean, it, it, it's, it's crazy, but here's my take on it. All right. So the Brooklyn Nets going into this trade, I believe were five and six or six and six, one of the two. Either way, they barely had a winning record or didn't. And they were struggling against teams that they shouldn't have struggled against, like the Atlanta Hawks, uh, the New York Knicks, and a number of other teams that were mediocre, especially in comparison to the amount of talent that the Brooklyn Nets have. But when they played teams that were obvious uh, championship contenders or possible like championship contenders or really good teams, like the uh, Philadelphia 76ers, Milwaukee Bucks, Boston Celtics, they look really good, like really good. And when I say really good, I mean championship good. Like they could win a championship. They had scores and Kyrie and KD. They had defensive stoppers like Jared Allen, who could come in and stop pretty much any big man in the league if he wanted to. They played great team defense as a whole. And what I mean by that is they were able to key in on any team, elite team's key score, and make him look pedestrian. They did it kind of against Boston. They were able to do it against Milwaukee in a way. They were able to make it difficult for the 76ers. Like, they know how to key in on your score, your best player, and make it really hard for them to be your best player. And with all that being said, I feel like they still needed something. They needed a guy, another guy, as sad as it sounds, that could get his own shot. Because even though they had guys like Karis LeVert and Timothy, uh, Lualu Cabarro, and um, Smisher Dinwiddie before he went down, they were still looking for a solidified guy who, when Katie or Kyrie weren't on the court, they could go to for points. And while Karras was, you know, probably the best option for that in the NBA, what's wrong with having a better version of him in James Harden? Like, if you look at it, Right now, they don't have Kyrie Irving uh, for whatever reason. It's not none of our business to know, but they don't have him. And now with the addition of James Harden, when Kyrie comes back, or if he doesn't, but if he does, you'll have Kyrie Irving, James Harden, and Kevin Durant on the floor at the same time. Name one NBA defense that can stop that. Exactly. What none of no NBA team in the in any any NBA team period can stop that. It's it's too many lethal scores, too many guys who can score at three different levels of the floor. It's it's unstoppable. We saw the same thing with uh not to the to this degree obviously with the three level scoring, but we saw it similarly with uh, former big threes and 
the Boston Celtics when they had KG, Ray Allen, and Paul Pierce. We saw it with uh, the Miami Heat's big three with LeBron, D. Wade, and Chris Bosh. And then we saw it recently with the big three of the uh, Golden State Warriors with KD, Steph, and Clay. Like, it, it's something that takes a lot of pressure off of guys on the bench. So while they did lose their bench, which was, you know, on paper, one of the best benches in the league, they got another guy who can score at all three levels and really determine the outcome of the game. And not just in those three levels, but at the free throw line. Like, see, what people are failing to realize is, while Katie and Kyrie are both great scorers, no one in the NBA, no one dictates a game quite like James Harden. And here's why. We all know James Harden's antics as far as him getting to the free throw line. He draws probably the most fouls in the NBA and does it at a pretty efficient clip as far as him shooting over 80% from the free throw line. So he's not just getting there, you know, missing. He's getting there and making it. Like, that determines the outcome of the game. So let's say you're down, you're, the, you're a Brooklyn Nets fan, and you guys are down three points to, I don't know, Milwaukee, and Kyrie comes out with the ball, and Katie's at the wing, James Harden's at the wing, and whoever else is out there is out there. Kyrie can come up, get the ball to whoever he wants, but gives it to James Harden. Harden gets fouled on a three-point play or three-point shot, makes it, and has the opportunity for a four-point play. There aren't a lot of guys in the NBA who has that opportunity outside of probably Dame and maybe Steph, but even them, they don't draw fouls quite like Dame's heart. So my point being is, while a lot of people are worried about the James Harden trade and what will come from it, you have to realize, you just got one of the best players in the NBA after already having two of the best players in the NBA. Stop worrying. <laughs> like, this is coming from a Lakers fan, for God's sake. Like, you guys are going to be fine, okay? You guys are in good hands coaching staff-wise with Steve Nash and Mike D'Antoni. You have two solidified stars, and then you have a superstar, you will be fine. You don't, as much as it hurts to say, because I I usually harp on Warriors fans for being like, we have KD, Kyrie, or KD, Clay, and Steph, and I'd be like, but y'all don't have a bench. I see why they were so careless now. When you have three guys like that who can just score, and you're the opposing team's defense, and you have to worry about that, especially in a series, it's no worry for your bench, dude. If you can just have competent guys on the bench, just guys who know their role and aren't going to make careless turnovers and mistakes, you're fine. You're perfectly fine because we're talking about guys, three guys potentially that can go out there and not only win you the game, but drop 40 while doing it. So it's going to be really interesting to see if this works. I think it will personally, but 
I can't wait for the chance and the opportunity if it does happen for when they have when they play the Los Angeles Lakers. This this possibly could be one of the best NBA finals in recent history. And I mean that wholeheartedly. So we'll see how it goes. So tomorrow is a really exciting day for NFL fans as we have the divisional round of the playoffs. I'm really excited not only for just the fans because this season has been really hard and just sports in general, but for the matchups that we're going to see. Like, we have great games slated for tomorrow. So we have the Rams-Packers, Browns-Chiefs, Saints-Bucks, and Ravens-Bills. Tell me what, which one of those games you think is going to be bad. <laughs> Ex- like, it, all of these games are going to be blockbuster, I feel like. Um, starting off with the Rams-Packers. Uh, we saw the Rams absolutely dominate Seattle's offense, which, granted, wasn't that great. But it, it, it was astonishing. Because looking, going into that game, the Rams didn't have their starting quarterback in Jared Goff. They had it was question marks about whether or not they'll be able to actually stop Russ because I mean playoff Russ is different from regular season Russ. Everyone knows that. So for them to be able to actually stop him, but not only stop him but make him look pedestrian, like I think that was Russell Wilson's worst QBR as a, a quarterback in the playoffs ever like ever ever which is crazy to say out loud but for them to be able to do that I think Aaron Rodgers uh might have lost some sleep because while this has been a really good year for them like probably his best year uh since being a starting quarterback for the Packers in his career this is probably one of the toughest teams he's had to play um, in his career in the playoffs. I mean, granted, they have home field advantage, but I, I don't think that defense is going to get slowed down by that. Now, flipping to the other side of the ball, I think the Rams' offense might look pretty, pretty uh, pedestrian, personally. Not only because the, you know, cold weather and all of that, and not so much because of the Packers' defense, but they played a really physical game against Seattle last week. And I feel like that's going to eat on some of their energy and ability to run the ball in the uh, cold weather. And then um, if they have to play Jared Goff in place of the starting quarterback who got injured last week, uh, Goff's thumb is still broken. Like, we saw close-ups of it in last week's win against the Seahawks where it was literally, like, pulsating, swollen. Like, it'll be interesting to see how that'll play as as far as the handoffs exchange between him and uh, their running back. Then we get to see the uh, staying in the NFC. We get to see the Saints versus the Bucks. Now, in the regular season, especially in that first matchup, we saw the Saints absolutely dominate the Buccaneers. And I can attest that to a lot of things. 
Uh, one of which being, I feel like the Bucks were still trying to figure out themselves. Uh, we know with great talent doesn't create uh, doesn't come great uh, play a lot of times in any team sport. Uh, just because you had a talent, don't mean that you go go out there and just win every game. Uh, and they have the talent, but I feel like at that point in the season, especially that early on, they were still trying to figure themselves out. Now that we're in the playoffs and we're talking about a man like Tom Brady, I feel like the sky's the limit, man. Like the red, the the win over the Redskins is gonna be obviously beat on and battered because oh, it's the Redskins. The Redskins didn't have Alex Smith. The Redskins are seven and nine. They shouldn't even be in the playoffs. Blah blah blah. Like, hold on. The Redskins had a really good defense. And if the Redskins had more playmakers on offense, we'd be talking about honestly a, a contender for the NFC here. Like people fail to realize that that Redskins team wasn't just a oh you won your division here's a cupcake. Like no, they were a legitimate team with a legitimate defense that made the Bucks at sometimes during that game look pretty pedestrian. But you go into the uh, Saints matchup. They're more. They're the Saints' defense is more well-rounded. Granted, but I feel like they don't have a game changer like a Chase Young or Montez Sweat or like any of those guys. Like as good as Cam Jordan is, as good as he is, I don't feel like he's as good as people think he is. You know, like it's one of those things of he's really good, really good. But it's a matchup thing. Like, it depends on who he's up against. Like, last week we saw he was, you know, doing his thing. But I think in this upcoming week, especially with uh, Tom Brady being who Tom Brady is in the playoffs, it's going to be hard for him to make a real, real, real big impact. But that's not me saying that he isn't. That's not me taking away anything from Cam Jordan. He's still a great player. I just think he doesn't make that much of an impact. Now, if he does... We're talking about a blowout here because we all know if Tom Brady can't get the ball to those receivers and those talented guys, or he can't run, hand the ball off to his running backs and Le'Veon or not Le'Veon Bell and uh, Jones and Leonard Fournette, then it doesn't really matter how much talent they have. But if he can get the ball to his targets and Antonio Brown, Mike Evans and uh, Chris Godwin, then this is going to be a long day for the Saints. With that being said, I feel like uh, the Bucks come out with this win. TB12 in the playoffs, man, it's different. It's a different animal. Arguably the greatest quarterback in my lifetime, at least, in the playoffs. He just doesn't miss. Like, the times that he has been bad in the playoffs wasn't even necessarily because of him. It's just that it was their time to lose. And when I say their time, I mean the Patriots. It might have been extenuating circumstances or what have you, but it was just that time. <clears throat> All right. On to the next game. Uh, we have the Browns-Chiefs. Now, last week, the Browns absolutely decimated the uh, Steelers, like, uh, I'm sure a lot of people saw uh, on the sidelines the Browns players uh, making fun of Juju Smith-Schuster for uh, his little TikTok dance. 
And, <laughs> you know, I feel like it's all in good fun because you got to realize the Browns haven't been, like, good in forever. And the Steelers have been pretty good, at least in the past decade. Like, they've been to the playoffs a number of times, had numerous winning seasons. Like, and the Browns are new to this. They haven't been good in my entire existence of life. So that's 21 years. So for them to get this playoff win, I feel like it was huge for them and their players. And them celebrating is not a bad thing. Was it in bad taste? No. Teach his own as far as that comes. But in my opinion, perfectly fine and warranted because, you know, when – we are a guy like Juju Smith-Schuster, who isn't a bad receiver by any regard, but you do all of these antics like the TikTok dances and antagonizing your opponent. What do you expect, dude? Like, they're going to come at you. They're, they're going to make it hard on you for you to even be somewhat good. And then when you don't play good at all, oh, yeah, they're going to taunt you. When they dominate your team, they're going to taunt you. So it's just one of those things. and I mean, Big Ben didn't play well either. He had three first-half interceptions. That's unexcusable. Uh, honestly, I feel like he needs to retire. If anything, if, if, if that playoff game told me anything, it's that the Steelers were on a high, high when they were on that 11-game winning streak but fell to a low, low after losing those last four or five games. They just, they they didn't play the same. They didn't play with the same camaraderie. That defense didn't look as good as it did early on. Same thing with the offense. Like, they just hit a wall, and they never got over it. While with the Browns, they had a couple of inconsistencies throughout the season, but especially with that loss to the Jets, because it's the Jets. They shouldn't have lost that game. But they were able to bounce back from it, and just dominate the uh, Steelers. Now, on to the Chiefs. <laughs> uh, this is where I think it comes down to can Kansas City do what they were doing earlier in the season, which was pass the ball efficiently. Now, we all know uh, Patrick Mahomes can throw for 450 yards if he wanted to, but can they prevent or make the right calls to prevent him from turning the ball over carelessly? Can they? Pre- can he make the reads rather to not make or uh, get interceptions? You know, like we saw late in the season against teams like the Dolphins and the Falcons, he he was just making careless throws or missed reads, and it hurt them overall as a team. Because not only are you giving the opposing team good field position. You're also making it easier for them to score, even as dynamic as your offense is with a guy like uh, Patrick Mahomes. It's like you have to control and corral those turnovers. So that's the big thing for this game. Can Patrick Mahomes uh, corral those turnovers? It's not so much on – well, actually, okay, that's a lie. Yes, it is on Baker. Now, here's the other side of the story. Can Baker Mayfield – make enough game 
defining throws to beat Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. We know they have a running game. We know that ever since the loss of OBJ, they've been a better offense. In some instances, they've been a little bit wacky, but they've been overall a better offense. Can he, as the quarterback, make the throws to give them a chance to win? That's the main point here. It's Patrick Mahomes versus Baker Mayfield. I know there's defenses on those opposing sides of that, but that's what it comes down to, quarterback play. So with that being said, I got the Chiefs here. I think the Browns have made it pretty obvious that they're here to stay as far as their success with uh, Kevin Stefanski as the head coach. But the Chiefs are the Chiefs at the end of the day. I don't think the Chiefs really hit their competitiveness or their competitive wall until they play a team like the Bills or the Ravens. With that being said, on to the Ravens and Bills game. Uh, We saw last week with the Ravens against the Titans absolutely stop, and I mean stop Derrick Henry, which is not something – like I had this conversation with my roommate, um, and we were like – he was asking me whether or not Devin uh, or Derrick Henry should be considered to be overrated. I said, no. Heck no. Like, what people fail to realize is Derrick Henry is a volume guy. He gets a lot of carries. He doesn't get a lot of yards. He may get three or four yards a carry, maybe two or three, actually. Somewhere in that three-and-a-half range for yards per carry. But then, this is here's the kicker. With all those carries, he wears down the defense. And then he gets a big run. And that's why you see him with, like, 35 carries 140 yards two touchdowns or one touchdown something like that it's high volume a lot of a lot of wearing down of the defense things like that with the Ravens he wasn't able to do that necessarily they did a really good job of corralling him in that backfield and the Titans sabotaged themselves by continuing to feed him even though they saw that it wasn't working like they should have made an adjustment there but uh, the Bills, on the other side, they had a really tough game against a really tough Colts defense, and it came down to a last-second throw. The the Ravens' defense isn't the Colts' defense, but Phillip Rivers isn't Lamar Jackson. That's the that's the key thing here. Uh, Lamar Jackson is a game changer, obviously, to a lot of people. And it's going to come down to can he make enough game-changing plays to to beat that Bills defense, which I know I said probably multiple times on this podcast is really good. But Lord knows they have some weaknesses in that defense that Lamar can exploit, especially in the running game. Um, the Colts running game was, wasn't bad. But they were able to get some runs off, and which shouldn't have happened. I mean, like, Jonathan Taylor's a rookie. He's not bad, but he's a rookie. Uh, their backup, not that great of a court or running back. You know, he's not nothing special. My point being here is their running game isn't as deep and as monstrous as this Ravens running game. And I think that can give the Bills a lot of problems, uh, especially late in the game. We saw where... 
with the uh, Titans, they just couldn't, they couldn't, like, they couldn't hold up anymore after having run and run and run and run and run early on in the game. It just whittled them down. Like, literally, they took what the Titans were trying to do and did it successfully and effectively. So I think that might give the Bills a problem. And we'll see how Jonathan uh, Allen plays. Or Josh Allen, sorry. (laughs) We'll see how Josh Allen plays and whether or not he can make enough winning throws. Because he makes some of the most out-of-the-box, dangerous throws I've seen from a quarterback probably since Brett Favre. And he can do that because of his athletic prowess. But, dude, you can't be just launching it across your body, going out of bounds to a guy on on the boundary because he can. Like, you have to realize it's the playoffs. Throws like that can cost you the game. They can give a team like the Ravens momentum to go down and at least at the minimum get a field goal, which can be a huge turn of tables uh, for them. So it's like he has to realize that he can't make those turnovers. He can't make those throws that often. Now, when he can make them, make them. But don't always rely on that. Make plays earlier in the game to give you the cushion to make plays like that later in the game. Don't just depend on those plays because you have to because you weren't making plays earlier. You know what I'm saying? So... With that, I have the Bills. Uh, personally, I think that they've just been one of the best uh, AFC teams throughout the entire season, outside of the uh, Chiefs, obviously. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's not, the Ravens don't have enough right now to just go out there and be at a team like the Bills. So that sets up. Um, a uh, AFC championship matchup of the Bills and Chiefs. And what I was saying earlier was that I think the Chiefs won't meet a competitive wall until they play a team like the Bills. Personally, I think that the Bills have enough firepower on both sides of the ball, especially offensively, to keep up with a team like the Chiefs. And I think defensively they can try to corral or hinder what Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid like to do, which is spread the ball out to their playmaker. Um, Now, am I saying that they're going to stop a guy like Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, Le'Veon Bell, Travis Kelsey? Like, are they going to stop all those guys the entire game? No. Some big plays may be let up. But do I think think those big plays are going to turn into um, scores necessarily all the time throughout the whole game? No. Things are going to be tough. But that being said, I wanted to say thank you to everyone who has tuned in to the last few episodes and who will continue to tune in. I really appreciate it. Um, And as always, God bless and stay safe.